family and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Tim and Friends, a.k.a. the Blue Jays post-game show. I'm Tim McAuliffe on this Canada Day edition of the show. Jesse Rubinoff standing by on the Wheels of Steel, a.k.a. Twitter and Instagram. We may have to rename first things first, but we'll still get to it. Full breakdown, Game 2, Stanley Cup Final. Kelly Rudy popping by. Canada basketball improves 2-0 at Olympic qualifying. The man who called those two games, and we'll call the Olympics... Dan Schulman pops by, and the 1993 continue, uh, theme continues with the Suns and Chris Paul rewriting the narrative by beating L.A. Mark Spears will join the fray, too. I wanted to get to all of that because we start with a little afternoon delight. Not if you're a Jays fan, and maybe out west we got a few Mariners fans. Either way, rubber of a three-game set between Toronto and Seattle as the Jays look to bounce back from another tough loss in extras last night. They turned to their ace, Hyunjin Ryu. Now, he posted an ERA of 262 over April and May, up to 488 in June. How would he do on the 1st of July? Not very good, to be honest with you. Kyle Seeger grounds one. Santiago Espinal. The throw's online. It's going to be close. Vladdy can't make the catch. Run scores first two in the inning. Now, they would respond in the bottom half. In fact, leadoff man Marcus Simeon, 20th on the season on July 1st. (laughs) Third time in nine seasons he's hit that mark. Now, top two, two out. Ryu thinks he has strike three. He doesn't against Jack Fraley. Doesn't get the call. Very next pitch. You could write this one. Sixth of the year for Fraley, the nine-hitter on this Mariners team. Solo shot. Ryu facing the Mariners for the first time in his career. Trails 3-1. Top three, Ty France pops one up. And Vladdy making glove out of nothing at all. What a great over-the-shoulder catch for the first out. But with two out, here's... Shedlong Jr. That's right. Fraley Long hitting just 211 on the season, but a long ball. <laughs> Ryu goes four innings, allows four earned runs on seven hits. Now, top nine, Jays trailing 5 2. Tyler Chatwood in relief. Starts the inning by walking two batters, then allows a pair of RBI singles, gives Seattle a 7 2 lead. He struck out the next batter, and Charlie Montoyo comes out to get him. And he's, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, leave me out here, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Or something along those lines. It didn't stop Montoyo from going to get him. Either way, the Jays dropped the rubber. 7-2 is the final for the Mariners. So Tampa in next nine more games to the All-Star break. Joining me now to discuss all of that fresh off of his Blue Jay Central duties is Joe Siddle. Thanks for sticking around. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you. So, yeah, that is a, that wow. is a round of applause from Jesse. Yeah, what a Thank you even on the round of applause. <laughs> Putting in work, Joe Siddle is. <laughs> appreciate it. So, what do you think? 7-2, two, 2-3 two to the Mariners. Is is the concern right now 2-3 to the Mariners or Hyunjin Ryu? Well, pick your poison. Yeah. I don't think the concern is two out of three from the Mariners. And if you just look at the last two starts, it just didn't go well. Steven Matt's coming off the COVID IL and then 
Ryu today, you're, you're not expecting that. You hope Mats is going to be better. Uh, I think we all feel, I feel, that Ryu will be better. It has not been about a bad month now for him. But I think it's more about, you know, I, I heard so much moving forward a couple of weeks ago about how the schedule is getting so soft. And I know <laughs> there's a lot of Baltimore in there and there's Miami, but... Seattle was probably one of those teams that were considered in that soft schedule, but they started playing better, right. and, and things do change. So I don't take any opponent lightly by any means, but no, they've got to be better, and then, yeah, going into a weekend like this, it is going to be tough. Now, if there's any consolation, the Rays haven't been playing great either, so that can help, but anytime you're playing the Rays, the Rays-Blue Jays tend to be great series, and I'm sure this will be a great series on the weekend. Uh, when it comes to Ryu, we mentioned the kind of the month-by-month, month, and it Popped up a little bit in June. Not a great start to July. Danny Jansen, when he's catching him, the numbers seem to favor Hyunjin Ryu. Can you get as a, you're a former catcher, but can you get in a groove as a battery mate and kind of just understand what to do to get guys out? And when you lose that, can you sometimes, like, could that be some of the explanation around the numbers? I will say no to that. And the reason okay. I'm saying no to that, now, can it happen? Absolutely. And I had some guys that I caught as personal catchers every five days, and they love that, and they do get into a routine, and they don't doubt that Ryu is in a routine. But Hyunjin Ryu is an excellent pitcher who has pitched very well with other catchers back right. there, too, in his career. He came from the Dodgers. You know, Russ Martin was back there. So I think... If you're a catcher behind the plate, the chances are you're going to get some credit for calling a good game. I'd love to catch behind the <laughs> right. plate when he's pitching. But, yeah, is he out of sorts? I, he could be out of sorts, but I don't think it's got necessarily anything to do with calling the game. He's just not as sharp. Remember, this is not an overpowering pitcher. When he is at his best, he is all over the edges of the zone. He's one of the best starting pitchers in baseball in that regard. Right. Today, and I think lately, we haven't seen as much of that. And we saw those clips right there. Ball's catching more of the plate. When you throw 96-98, velocity allows you to get away with some mistakes. Right. Curveball hanging over the middle of the plate. Changeup, they tried to come in on Fraley, though. He wants that inside, and you could see where Reese was set up, inside, and it leaked over to the plate. That's danger zone when you don't have the power that he has. And for those wondering about the sticky stuff, uh, looking at spin rates, it looks as though, I mean, today his spin rates were higher than his yearly average. He's not really a spin rate guy. He's what you're saying that touch guy. Yeah, I would feel like more of the high-velocity guys and the hard slider type guys. Those are the two pitches that I really look at most, so I don't even really consider Ryu in that conversation. He's a feel guy, though. It, it's finesse. It's touch. It's feel. And he's the changeup's been a bit of a mystery to me because, again, when he's at his best, he is pounding that fastball and cutter in on the hands of right-handers and changeup down and away. And he does it like an artist. It's fantastic mm -hmm. to watch. And he just hasn't been that way. He hasn't right. been as crisp, hasn't been as sharp. And could that be fatigue? Could it be that he needs an extra day? I know they give him an extra day on occasion. And I said post-game, I wonder if he'll sneak in two more starts before the All-Star break. I think not. I think they'll probably give him an extra day here or there to make one more start before the All-Star break mm -hmm. and then take that nice break and come back. And he seems to be that type of guy that, that needs that and, and wants that. And maybe that it will help him too. Get back to who he is. Uh, you say Kikuchi. I say Kikuchi. We both say Kikuchi. Uh, he was pretty good today. How did he keep the Jays' batters off balance? He did it with his cutter. Yeah. But the way you do that is by having high-velocity fastball. This guy was 95 to 98 a lot of the afternoon. And when you have that high-velocity, hitters have to gear up for it. So as a hitter, you gear up. And what's he do then? You got to, when he drops that cutter down and in on you, and he, we saw it a lot today. And that cutter's in the high 80s and low 90s, so it's a, it's a nasty pitch. And when hitters are gearing up for the, the heater, 
you're cheating almost. You have to start early. You have to get the bat head out, and then once he gets you doing that, he's got you right where he wants you. Right. Mixed in the other pitches, but that wasn't his bread and butter. The bread and butter was the high velo with that cutter. I think I counted it was 12 outs, 12 of his 21 outs were on the ground okay. today, yeah. and most of them to the left side of the infield. So that tells you what the right-handed hitters were doing. They're cheating, they're starting early, and they're rolling that ball over, and the defense was good behind them. Not necessarily Marcus Simeon, who had another good day and 20 home runs on July 1st. I mean, I don't know. I I understand the Jays looked at a couple years back <laughs> and said, okay, we've seen this, but what he's done so far has to surpass expectations. It was a great signing by the Blue Jays, and I'm sure they were thinking – Maybe Marcus Simeon of 2019 when he was third in the American League most valuable player race. But I'm not sure anybody expected this. And he has just really solidified this lineup. Of course, it's a very deep lineup, one of the best in baseball. But when you got him at the top, and that's why when the whole Springer thing came back, what do you do, what do you do? And I was originally thinking, well, when he comes back, you put him in there. But I thought that was back a month and a half ago that Springer would be returning. But once it went that long, I don't like to disrupt anything. And you let George get feet wet and get back into this lineup but you don't break you don't uh, what do you don't change it if you ain't broke don't fix it yeah. that's what it is right now I mean it's just still at times we see struggles like today but for the most part this lineup's firing in all cylinders so leave it be listen George Springer is a great hitter and he'll get there how long does it take normally for a guy who's been out that long to refine it do you, is there any way to know there's no way to know but it was a long time it's not like he went on the IL and he missed a couple of weeks and and that's tough now because he's such a great hitter, does it take less time? I don't think you can necessarily go that necessarily go that way because it depends on who you are as a hitter. Some guys, it's like in spring training. You ask somebody in spring training how many at bats you need to get ready for the season. Some guys will say 25 or 30. Other guys will say 50 to 60. They need the reps, and not only the reps, but they need the three and four at bats each day of a spring training game to get ready. So. Everyone is different in terms of that timing. They, they have different triggers, different loads in their swings. And for George, he looks like he's getting back, but he's not George Springer just yet. The, the reason I ask is because Simeon goes three of four. He hits the home run. He's batting 291 on the year. Uh, Springer goes one of three. He's batting 233. And all of the fastballs that Marcus Simeon seems to be all over, do you think he's getting them because he's in that spot in the order at the top? He could be, and it still amazes me that he's getting him because I would still pitch him differently. I mean, what he has shown to do against fastballs, it's, you've got to watch the game. And, of course, we watch him every pitch, every game. But, I mean, other teams with their scouting reports, you think they have that information and more. But I think he won that bad. I think it was on his base hit today. Kikuchi threw him three straight fastballs. And I'm just thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. But... They have game plans, and I don't doubt when you have a top of a lineup like that, that's the guy you want to get because you don't want to get him on base with the next three guys coming up. So, sure, there's a uh, there's a plan for that, and that's why I said, too, if you start thinking of altering this lineup, I was thinking Simeon's not the guy. I don't really want to move him down to fifth or whatever it is may be because then they could throw him more breaking balls. That's not his strength. He crushes fastballs. <laughs> that's who he is. And he's getting lots of them. 20 home runs uh, by July 1st. All right, a couple more guys that I want to bring up to you. Got your first look at Adam Simber. What would you yeah. think? Excellent. Yeah. I thought it was great because it's exactly what we thought 
we're getting here with, with Adam Simber. He is a guy that's going to come from down under, and he's going to run that sinker in on right-handed batters and get a lot of soft contact and a lot of ground balls. He came in to get a ground ball to end the inning today. Now, uh, the score wasn't that close, but if that's a 3-2 game, that's what you want. He'll run that four-seamer up on lefties, and he's actually been better against lefties this year. He, he's much better against righties in his career, but he has walked a fair number, so it's not ideal. And I thought we might see him last night when the whole Patrick Murphy came in and lost the game, but yeah. they got a bunch of lefties in this lineup, so I'm sure Charlie was protecting him against that, and he wants to use him where he'll see more righties than lefties. Now, we've got the three-batter minimum rule, so I think it was today when he came in, that next inning there were going to be two of the first three he was facing were going to be righties. So pick the spot where he's going to be his best, but you're going to see a lot of that, and I think this is what we heard about him, and that's what we saw today, sinking it in on righties, yeah. weak ground balls, soft contact. Uh, Adam Simber, of course, acquired in the Joe Panic deal with the Florida Marlins. You mentioned Patrick Murphy, and he struggled. Didn't get out of the 10th inning yesterday. Ended up costing the Jays the ball game. Did you like seeing him back out today? I was surprised we saw him back out today, but at the same time, that's the part I like because I caught a lot of guys that when you have a tough one like that, if you can get back out there and hopefully rectify it, get you back going. And Charlie's trying to get guys going. He, he's got so many cards yeah. in his hand, and he needs others to pitch better besides Jordan Romano and Tim Meza. So you give this guy another shot, and you know Jacob Barnes is another one. All of these guys, Saucedo today, we saw him again. These guys, they've all got to be better because until some guys come back from injury, whether it's Barucky or whether it's Merriweather or whoever, or they make another deal, these are your guys. So if I'm Charlie Montoya right now, I look at that bullpen list and it's like, well, where do you want me to go? Because this is this is the hand you have. <laughs> and, and he said as much, really. Oh, really, yeah. yeah. It's got to be frustrating. So when you look at that today, maybe you bring Murphy back in there to try to get some confidence back so you get him right back on. And you know, clearly that's not the case with Tyler Chatwood. But you need somebody <laughs> to get going besides your big horse in Romano. And uh, maybe Murphy, maybe Barnes can help in that regard. All right, I want to get to Chatwood after giving up all the three runs in the 10th. Murphy, uh, one and two-thirds with one hit, no run. So maybe he found a little something there or is this giving him more opportunities to earn that trust? And speaking of that trust, Tyler Chatwood. So comes in, walks a pair of batters, gives up two runs in a 5-2 game. That I mean, you're, they ended up, if it was a 5-2 game, Chatwood gets through clean. The Jays had the tying run on, at the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning. Didn't go that way. He gave up two runs. Did you want to see Chatwood do what he did? Because there's a lot of fans out there going, Tyler Chatwood needs to shut up. <laughs> Tyler Chatwood is what he is right now, and I didn't want to see him in a 5-2 to two ball game because with this lineup, you get a guy or two on and the tie and runs at the plate. If this stays 5-2, I think your team has a chance, but you bring him in, and right now he's just a wild card. You don't know what you're going to get, and that's what's so frustrating. And I've caught many guys like Tyler Chatwood. The stuff is great. He's got good stuff. He gets good movement. The cutter's good. He's got good stuff. But most of his career has been like this, where he has trouble finding the plate, whether that's the movement on the pitches or whether it's where he's starting his pitches. That doesn't matter, but the fact is that he can have trouble with the zone and he can be awesome for a couple of outings and then just blow up. And then in a game like today, it's 5-2. to two. I want to keep it 5-2. to two. So I thought Saucedo might be the guy because they're at the top of the order. I think the first three of the first five hitters were left-handed. Mm -hmm. That plays into the hand of Saucedo. So I thought that would have been a better chance to keep the game 5-2. to two. 
But I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to use Salcido that much. I, who knows? There are a lot of things we don't know throughout right. the course of a game. Charlie knows his Could players. Could be the same thing as we saw with Murphy, where you're trying to get a guy back because early on, Chatwood was one of the guys that he was able to lean on. But I think with where Chatwood is right now, it's not there. It's got to be an eight to one game, and that's right. too bad. We might not see an eight to one game for a while, so you might not pitch for a while. But I'm not bringing him in a close game right now, like today. Uh, his last 15 games, he's got an ERA over 12, so that would suggest what Joe is saying is probably <laughs> correct. I just know that we saw Charlie out there saying, "What do you want me to do?" And this might be him trying to find it. But I'm with you, five-two game with that kind of lineup. You're playing with fire by putting Chatwood out there. Yeah, you're just, I, I think you, Charlie says it a lot himself, is you're doing everything you can to give your team a chance to win. And I think by bringing Chatwood in that situation, you're not doing the best thing. Now, maybe Chatwood comes in and gives you that one, two, three inning that he does sometimes. But I just, right now, he has not gained that trust. And I go by with what you're seeing recently. And right now, I don't think that was the best option. Okay, so listen, I'm, I'm 20 year, 20 plus years now in this business. And I have a, a couple tried, tested, and true. One, special players make special plays on special days, Joe. It just rings true so often. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And the difference between good and great is consistency. Is the last one this team? It's frustrating, isn't it? I, I, consistency is going to, I think it goes for any player. That's what good players, great players are do. They're just more consistent. There are a lot of very good players in the major leagues. To get there, you have to be a very good player, but the best ones are consistent. They can do it every day. And this team is, it's hard to be consistent when you have so much up in the air. Now, just when you thought the starting rotation was ironing itself out, okay, just worry about the bullpen. Well, now all of a sudden you get a couple of starts like this, so it's okay, what if, I was thinking this day, what if the bullpen starts locking in a little bit? Maybe maybe start getting some nice outings from Barnes and, and from Saucedo down there, and, and you have a couple of fines and maybe a Patrick Murphy to add to Romano, and the bullpen starts sorting itself out. Well, now the you've got a little bit of a leak happening yeah, a in the starting hit, rotation. So, in the rotation yeah. And there's your consistency, so it's really hard. But at the same time, Tim, you look around baseball, how many teams can say they're, yeah. they're, they're consistent in all aspects? of the game there aren't many i yeah. mean you've got a couple but after that even when we talk about the rays right now they're leaking a little bit and yeah. i never thought i'd say that but so yeah you just got to try to find it one thing i will say about charlie and i was a teammate of his and because he played the game so long and his coached and my i played a long game time too you really can't get caught up in the moment and as fans yeah. you certainly do but they know it's 162 they know they got to kind of let things ride out and went out now i was highly critical of a few decisions in the last month i know but I think long haul, you've, you've got to be patient. Yeah, every, every season is going to have that roller coaster. And that's almost why I say the difference between good and great is consistency because you have to take some time to figure out who's consistent, who's going to do it each and every day. And there's a few guys on this team that we're seeing do it each and every day. Bo Bichette, another two for four a day. <laughs> he's not bad either. He's fun to watch. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Uh, Vladdy, 0 for 3. So uh, in the end, uh, they lose 2 of 3. To the Seattle Mariners, now nine games to the All-Star break. Six of them come against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, how important are these six in that 162? The infamous question. So I was just talking to Jamie after the game today, and I said, I can't stand when people say, well, you have to win uh, six of the next eight, or this is a huge <laughs> part of the schedule. Well, no, it's a 162-game schedule. Every game is important. Right. And if you drop six of the next eight, there's nothing saying you might not win 10 of the next 12. Or every month you go in and you should try to win 15 to 18 games every month, be over 500. Well, if you win 10 one month, maybe you win 20 the next month. Like, 
there's no predicting necessarily. And that's why I get back to, I think, Charlie's mentality and his, his whole thought process is, and it's true, every day is a new day in baseball, and you just try to go win a ball game. So you don't try to win a series against Tampa Bay right now. Yeah. You go out and see what the matchup is in the first game, and you put your best foot forward, and who your best lineup's going to be. and who you, you, It's just, I don't get too far ahead of myself in this game, and I think that's what good managers do, because you can't. It's just too long of a schedule. Understood. Nine games to the break. Joe Siddle, we got to take a break, but we appreciate you doing this. <laughs> All right. Uh, there is Joe Siddle. Blue Jays Central was done. He hopped in here, and we appreciate it. Busy show planned for you. Kelly Rudy will join us to talk Stanley Cup final. Mark Spears in the NBA final or the playoffs. We'll get to the finals in a flash. Well, the Suns are already there. Dan Shulman will stop by. More on Canada basketball, but up next, we'll continue the Blue Jays talk. Arden Zwelling drops by for a little more analysis and some speculation on some of the rumors rolling in Jays Nation. This is Tim and Friends on the Sportsnet family of channels. Thanks, Joe. Maybe one last chance. Centers scores. They beat the buzzer. A back-breaking goal here for the Lightning with .3 seconds on the clock. I thought we played a heck of a hockey game tonight, um, but at the same time, it wasn't enough. The Phoenix Suns, for the first time in 28 years, are going back to the NBA Finals. Chris Paul is in the NBA Finals. What do you think when you hear that sentence? Man, it sounds damn good. Damn good. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Ballmer! Steve Ballmer, excited about the job that his team has put forth. to right field. This ball is gone into the bullpen. Second homer of the game for Seattle. Second of two for Seattle, but they're still able to come up with a 7-2 final in the rubber of a three-game set. We continue the Jays' talk here on Tim and Friends by heading to one of our young crop of multi-platform stars, Sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet Radio, Sportsnet TV, as well as the At The Letters podcast. Here's Arden Zwelling. What's going on, Arden? How are you, man? Hey, what's going on? Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my athletic career, my friend. <laughs> welcome to my athletic and and probably this post-career. Um, what did you think of today's game? There's a little Hyunjin Ryu talk. There's a little Chatwood talk, although Charlie just provided a, a little bit of context on the Chatwood saying that he wanted to stay out there to save the bullpen, although when a guy's already up and warming... Mm. Yeah, those those uh, bullets are being fired already yes. in in the bullpen. We did learn today Tyler Chatwood's been uh, battling a little bit of a neck issue, so uh, you know I think that plays into it as well. That maybe Tyler Chatwood thought that Charlie was coming out to get him because he thought physically um, he he wanted to get him out there, and and Tyler Chatwood's kind of say no, no, physically I'm fine. I can keep going. I can keep pitching. Um, you know, for probably six weeks now. We've kind of been wondering about a possible phantom IL stint for Tyler Chatwood just to kind of give him a break and, and get him out of the competitive atmosphere. It sounds like now you have like a real legitimate reason to potentially put him on the IL if you want to give him some work to, to some time to work out what he's 
going through, uh, it's got to be tough as a manager, right, for, for Charlie Montoya because you just don't know what you're getting yeah. out there. You could get really good Tyler Shotwood and the stuff's working and everyone's swinging and missing, or it's going to be the epically bad Tyler Shotwood like we saw today where he's nowhere near the zone and uh, the, the stuff isn't working, and when he puts it on the plate, it's getting hammered. It seems to be one of two extremes. There really has been very little middle ground for him this season. Yeah, empathetic Tim McAuliffe uh, wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt watching that video live of him you know trying to send Charlie back to the dugout but when you've gone through what he went through where he was upset that Charlie took him out then Charlie left him in and you know he really struggled and a 12 year ERA over your last 15 outings like it's just you're you no longer have that leverage and I, I was watching Twitter thinking oh they're going hard on on Chatwood but I mean you kind of made the bed you lie in it yeah, absolutely. And it's a tough thing for the Blue Jays going forward, right? Like today's spot wasn't a high leverage spot, even, no. right? It's not like he was protecting a, a slim lead. You know, he's in there with a pretty serious deficit. And this game, just in general, was a little bit odd for the Blue Jays in that um, it was a, a, a pretty crushing loss, right? Like it wasn't a close one, it wasn't a heartbreaker. Um, you know, it wasn't tight. Like they were pretty much out Stinker. of this game. Yeah. through and through, right? Yeah, it was a stinker. We don't see too many of those. Usually when the Blue Jays lose, it is some sort of Shakespearean tragedy, <laughs> right? Like, and yeah. there, there's some sort of dispiriting, demoralizing thing that happens. Especially In this one, it was Chat just, was hey, yeah. we were the second best team, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of strange things going on today. Uh, any concern for Hyunjin Ryu? You have to be considering um, this isn't the first time that we've seen him lacking command like this. And it's funny, his last time out, I mean, Tim, he had no hit stuff against the Baltimore Orioles his last time out. Like he looked like he had solved what he had gone through in sort of the four or five starts prior. And he was carving up the zone and, you know, he was rolling through six pitch innings, seven pitch innings, nine pitch innings. And then today he just reverted to the guy that he was for the four or five starts prior to that. So there's clearly something going on with him. The, you know, the optimistic thing coming out of today's start was that the velo was there and that's good for him to see the fastball sitting around 90 as opposed to say 88 as we saw earlier this season but the command just wasn't there and for Hunjin Ryu command and control and picking corners is everything so if he is missing too far off of the plate his stuff can be a little too easy to lay off of and when he is missing too far on the plate it is 89, 90 miles an hour, which professional big league hitters can do really not nice things to. So is that mechanical? Is that physical? We don't know, but there's clearly something going on there that Hunjin Ryu needs to sort out going forward. Uh, I know the Baltimore starts run together. That was two starts ago. Uh, last time out, four runs over the six and two thirds. But uh, either way, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's interesting here because, uh, did you want to jump in there? Well, the, the last time out, he got burned right at the end. Right, all right. It was yeah. that last inning where things kind of unraveled for him. But up yeah. until then, I'll he shut had my mouth. been... <laughs> I'll shut my mouth. You him, can say I it. watch every one of these games start <laughs> right. to... I know some of you can channel surf and flip around and look at other stuff. I right. got to watch every pitch four hours a night, Hold baby. on. I wish that I could focus in on one sport. I swear to God, like <laughs> having to kind of sort of know every sport in the book... I think is harder than watching every pitch of every game. Fair. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll <laughs> yeah. give you that. I got to talk Habs coming up. I got to talk Canada <laughs> basketball coming up. I got to talk NBA playoffs coming up. And there's someone on the internet who's studying really hard to see if I screw up. Uh, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't have called. You're right. 
I get it. I was trying to get you Jack back. of all trades. Master of none. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the juice surrounding this team because I don't know how much, how much of it is true, how much of it is smoke. And when I see smoke, I often look for fire. I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, obviously, Richard Rodriguez is a prized possession. Do you think the Jays are in on something like that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, they've been calling around to to try to find relief help. And, you know, all they've been able to find so far was the, the Adam Simber deal, which is a fine piece of business and made this club better. But obviously, it's not going to be the totality of their trade deadline. They still need to go out and get at least another reliever, if not two. Um, I think they should be looking into a starting pitcher as well, although that market's going to be rather shallow. Uh, and then I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think that the Blue Jays should be out on like a left-handed hitting third base type or at least a utility infielder, you know, somebody to just deepen this lineup. You know, you talk about the Pirates and Richard Rodriguez. They got a guy by the name of Adam Frazier who would fit in great on this club as a third baseman, left-handed hitter, contact-oriented approach, doesn't strike out a ton, control will be on this season. He would cost a pretty penny, maybe cost an Alejandro Kirk, but I think that's something that the Blue Jays should be should be looking to just to make this lineup a bit deeper. I just uh, I was kind of writing down some names here, and I thought Danny Jansen rehabbing, Reese McGuire playing some decent ball. I don't know how sustainable that is from Reese McGuire, but he's playing Not some deep. <laughs> playing some decent ball. Uh, and I think there's a lot of fans that just love what Alejandro Kirk represents that would get really scared when you said Alejandro Kirk. But given where the Jays are, what they have, pieces like that are what is going to get you what you want, is it not? Absolutely. Yeah. Like he, he would have some value, and particularly to the Pittsburgh Pirates who have been interested in him prior and you got to remember Pittsburgh's GM is Ben Sherrington who was right. in the Blue Jays front office their assistant GM Steve Sanders was in the Blue Jays front office as well so there's plenty of connections there they know all about Alejandro Kirk sometimes you kind of wonder if they know too much about the Blue Jays system to make right. it easy to make a to make a deal with them but I, I just think the Blue Jays and Pirates line up so well at this deadline with the Blue Jays having some of the young pieces that the Pirates would covet in their rebuild and the Pirates having guys like Rodriguez um, you know like an Frazier, um, you know, I, I think I just saw the Colin Moran hit the the IL, but he would have been a guy that I think the Blue Jays could have been all over. Even a Chris Stratton in their bullpen is a guy with high spin rates, who you can use in a bunch of different roles. So there's some very interesting pieces there. And yeah, look, if you want to get something good, you got to give up something good. And the Blue Jays could ask themselves, hey, with Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire in the fold, with Riley Adams having somewhat held his own at the big league level, with Gabe Moreno on the way, is a that first catcher like Alejandro Kirk with some value on the trade market, someone that we could send out and maybe we don't really need an offensive first catcher in this lineup considering how deep it runs most nights. Uh, yes or no, do you expect something soon? Soon, no, but I certainly do expect something. So uh, soon in you know the next six, seven, eight days, unlikely. Um, you know, I think that right now the you know the Blue Jays are just going to wait for the market to stabilize and present itself, see what sellers are out there. You know, there's still a lot of bubble teams that yeah. haven't really determined whether they're going to buy, whether they're going to sell, whether they're going to stand pat. So you know, it's a little bit of an awkward time to be making deals. And you also don't want to make a deal now and then have a seller emerge late in this trade season, you know, a week before the deadline and then say, oh, we already spent, you know, the capital you're looking to spend or we already filled these roster holes. We would have waited if we knew you were going to be selling player X or player Y. So I think right now it just kind of makes sense to wait till closer to the deadline. 
Hey, buddy. Uh, thanks for doing this. Happy Bobby Bonilla, Bobby Bonilla Day or Bobby Bonilla mm. Day, whatever day you want to <laughs> celebrate. You celebrate, my friend, but happy Bobby Bonilla Day to you. Do you know that he's getting around the same today as Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero will get for the entire year? And Vlad might get an MVP award as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I hope Bobby got interest on it at least. Because uh, look, a, a million bucks now isn't the same as a million bucks in in the year two thousand. So I got, hope he got interest or eight percent interest. Bobby's doing okay. Yeah, he got or, interest on this. Yeah. He got another one with the A's. Like we were looking it up before the show. It's ridiculous. He had the best agent on planet Earth. Uh, he's doing okay. You should have taken Amazon stock or Bitcoin, <laughs> or that would have been the best station on earth. Right? All right, buddy. Appreciate you doing this with us. See you, fellas. There is uh, Arden's Welling on the J72 loss and what they might be doing in the near future. How near? Well, he just gave that to you. After the break, we'll turn our attention to the Stanley Cup final with a lightning up, two games to none. What do the Canadians need to do to get back in the series? We'll discuss it. First things first, even though it's not first next. I'm Tim and Friends. Got it? Good. Emily Arena in Tampa Bay, Montreal Canadiens, Tampa Bay Lightning. Game two, comeback time, right, Habs? Here's a breakaway pass. It's Suzuki in. Vasilevsky to make the save. A high stick comes up on the no. That's going to be a penalty. the point Sorelli it'll come back to Suzuki he's get a good bounce score Nick Suzuki on the power play maybe one last chance centers scores they beat the buzzer a back-breaking goal here for the lightning flips it back in Edmondson reversed it red scores Got a practice going down in the lightning zone. Well, you know you're in a series now. It's game on, series on. Always a fan of a good fracas. The Habs <laughs> hoping the series can turn in their favor very soon. They took it to another level, but return home down two games done. Tim McAuliffe with you, and yes, we've talked plenty of baseball off the top. So let's get you caught up to date on the rest of the sports world with a segment we usually use to kick off the show. So I guess. It's Jesse Rubinoff, the one Biggie Smalls, and first things second. First things second. Second. <laughs> not, not quite the same, Jesse, but we, we understand why. Very nice. Nice touch with the graphic, the voice. Well done. Uh, Timmy, game two in Tampa. Mark Sheldon does not sound like Christopher Wallace. No, no, but he tries the best. You did try. You got to give him a 10 10 for effort. (laughs) Very nice job, Mark. Second. And the uh, second result in Tampa was the same as the first. A win for Tampa Bay over the Montreal Canadiens in the cup final. The Lightning going up 2-0 in the series. After beating the Habs 3-1, Let's face the facts, though. The Habs outshot the Bolts 43-23. They generated 62.6% of the expected goals. Still lost the game. The Habs have been here before, though. What do you think, Timmy? Can they come back from two games down in the cup final? I, I The road is littered with those who have thought that the Habs were down yep. and out. Our entire throw yesterday was about 
them having tasted their own blood and being able to respond. And they did respond. Like, let's be honest. They were down one nothing despite completely outplaying the Tampa Bay Lightning. After two periods of play, they were the shots were 29 to 13 and they were mm-hmm. down 2-1. And that it just seemed like Montreal got that level that I don't think a lot of people expected they could reach against Tampa. The bad news is if you're a Habs fan, they still lost the game. So, for me, it's a it's a good omen for all Habs fans, mm-hmm. that not only did you play with the Lightning, and I'm sure there were even Canadians fans who were wondering if this jam was done. Mm-hmm. I would suggest this will be a series, especially when you go home and you start getting the matchups that you want, but it hurts a lot to have outplayed them that badly through two periods of play and to have still lost that game. They say that the series doesn't start until somebody <laughs> loses on home ice. So yes. the Habs have a big job ahead of them in game three. But I think we got to talk about uh, the Coleman diving goal just because of the time that it happened. I remember last week you Back sat pressure. here and was Justin Bourne was in studio and you said, Carey Price has been good or great in the playoff run, but there haven't been these times where he's allowed goals at the wrong time. Yeah. And last night was the first one, I think, during this entire run where... 0.3s left on the clock. You can't fault him for it because it was oh, a good goal. It was well done, but Everyone it can't on happen. The ice. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It can't happen in that situation. And and I know the people were pointing out uh, Ben Sherratt's kind of situational awareness or lack thereof, kind of stepping up in the neutral zone there. But no, turning the clock over twice. You like, can't let that in at that time because no. that's the game right there, basically. So here's the. And I'm with you on that. And here is the underlying subplot to what you're saying. Because I agree with you. And the best part, the best goalies always seem to make this. Special players make special plays on special days. They make the save at the right time. Herein lies the subplot. Carey Price, round by round. Leafs, 932 save percentage, 224 goals against. Jets, just ridiculous. 942 save percentage. 149 goals against. Round three against Vegas. Everyone thought overmatched. 933 save percentage. 210 goals against. Through two games against the Lightning, it's 840 and 406. Is this a a, a blip in the radar for Carey Price? Or is this Carey Price, I'm tired of carrying this team? And pun intended, um, they're going to go home. Yep. They're going to get the opportunity to play in front of their home fans, although it doesn't seem like it'll be more than 3,500. They're going home. We'll see if they can, because let's be honest, Andre Vasilevsky has outplayed Carey Price in this series. That's that's just it. Like we sat here and said um, in the 5-1 game, probably the fifth goal was the only one that you could really say, well, he probably should have had that. And last night, really, the first goal, you can make an argument that maybe he should have stopped it, but he couldn't really see it. But the fact is what you just said. He's getting outplayed. And we coming into the series, it was a matchup of, I said, the two best goalies in the world right now. And one who a lot of people thought was going to win the Vesna again, in Andre Vasilevsky, yeah. is showing you exactly why that was the case. Stopping 60 of 62 so far in the series. And none bigger than, really, in the first period, when Suzuki had a partial breakaway, Tyler Toffoli had a partial breakaway, and we discussed how important it would be for the Montreal Canadiens to score first. Yeah. They're 11-2 and two in the playoff run when they've scored first. 
and again they couldn't get it done and again you see the result is ending up a loss one more thing uh very interesting to me that has to do with what we're talking about we we had just given all the plaudits to the top 4d yep. for montreal and rightly so when you watch every moment of tampa's d and their top 6d yeah. and we call them the big four on Montreal, that's a big six. And yeah. Kenny came in and he was talking about, Kenry was here yesterday, he was talking about how big they were and he gave uh, heights. And I thought to myself, when he gave the heights, maybe we should add the weights. 6'6", 241 is Victor Hedman with Ruta, 6'3", 204. McDonough, 6'1", 215. Cernak is 6'3", 230. Savard, 6'2", 233. The smallest guy. <laughs> On this back line is 63204. Like it's unbelievable. And they have done what Montreal has done through three series, and that is help keep guys away from their goalie and allow Vasilevsky to do his job. Seems like this is going to become a, a trend. We talk about all the time in the NHL and other leagues are copycat leagues. And now you got two teams with the Habs, it's generally speaking, it's four defensemen who are huge and clear in the front of the net. Mm -hmm. You just said it, the Lightning have six. So if your GM's around the league and you're seeing teams that are having success, yeah. are these big defensemen pretty hard to find them in the NHL? Pretty hard to find them, well, but maybe there's a formula there. Let's you and I look at teams in Canada and say, do the Leafs have that kind of defense? Nope. Do the Winnipeg Jets have that kind of defense? Definitely not. Do the Edmonton Oilers have that kind of depth on their defense? I'm they sure might have want it. one or two of those guys, yeah. but they don't have it. The one thing is we can't do the knee-jerk to uh, this specific series. I mean, Pittsburgh didn't have it, and they won. Mm -hmm. But they had Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. A little bit of a difference, right? yeah. yeah. And they had Kessel scoring goals left, right, and center. Like, there's a little bit of a different team. I understand it, but this defense is just – they punish you, and – all these kids coming up now, like it used to be, oh, you need a puck-moving defenseman. Guess what? First passes, all of them do it, and they're 6'6", 240. Like, Hedman is an absolute unicorn. It's scary. It's like, he's so scary. Yeah. Like, they showed the close-up of his face yesterday when there was a little fracas mm -hmm. at the end yes. of the game. And I'm like, this guy is terrifying. I would, I mean, I, of course, would be terrified to play against him, but I can't imagine going to the corner against Victor Hedman and Sergachev, like, Talk about the hit on uh, Lekin all you want, but, I mean, these guys are, are monsters in the corners. What about the hit at the end of the game? Like, yeah, for, I, me, for me, and I'll say this, like, play to the end of the game. Yep. And if you're going to play nasty and tough, then you can't not expect something at the end of a game. Like, yeah. just play to – if if you are going to play that way in a series, don't expect not to be hit at the end of the game. You've been punishing the other team totally. the entire way. For me, I was a little kind of perturbed at some suggesting that that was a dirty hit. The whole series has been dirty. Everyone is hitting to hurt. Get the hell out of here with that, or you're not watching the rest of the game. And that might be the case, honestly. There's people who just go to Twitter and go, oh, Look, that's a dirty Bad hit at the hit. end of the game. Yeah. Guess what? The whole series has been dirty. Nobody is hitting without the intention of attempting to get that guy out of the game. And yeah, it's not the regular season anymore. Like, nah. this is the playoffs. And they are playing against the same team next game. So there's a little bit of sending a message. One thing I wanted to ask you that was a topic of conversation last night, the Habs had a four-on-three. Mm -hmm. Cole Caulfield was on the bench. Now, Luke Richardson has done a fantastic job, but usually he's with the defense. 
he made the call to have Cole Caulfield sitting on the bench for that four on three. And there were a lot of Hab fans very frustrated that you have that opportunity to strike, but yeah. your most dynamic offensive players sitting on the bench. You have a problem I, with it. I understand it. I don't have a huge problem with yeah. it. I think you sometimes play feels and there are feels within games that I don't have a problem with that are so specific like that one. I get it. I understand why you want him out there. He's dangerous. There's open ice. Totally. He's a little guy. But sometimes you just got to go with the feel. And I'm going to be honest, Luke Richardson's done a wonderful job. And I thought it would be a lot harder for them to deal with Dom Ducharme not being there or that you'd see a little bit of a different team because coaches yep. play feels so much. And I'll be honest with you, I think Luke Richardson has found himself a head coaching job somewhere if he wants it because of this. So Dom Ducharme's coming back for game three. I wanted to point out that I, I believe Eric Engel's article is where he said this. Uh, Alex Burroughs walked into the coach's room last night, reminded Luke Richardson that the Canucks were up 2 nothing on the Boston Bruins in 2011, and we know how that ended up. Right. Here, so Buffs. If I'm in the the Canadiens' locker room, I think you got to be confident just how you played last night. They, you dominated the yeah. game. Just score a and couple you've done goals. It You'll find a way to do it. You've done yep. it before. Yeah. They have come back before, and I guarantee you no one in that room is thinking that this series is over. Kelly Rudy coming up. Yep. He will discuss this very series. We're going to get to basketball with Mark Spears and Dan Schulman on the Canadian Olympic team 2-0 and in Victoria. Alright, first hour in the books with the conclusion of first things second. Second. Coming up, Canada, perfect 2-0 and in Olympic qualifying is the golden generation upon us and the Habs played much better in game two but still lost. What does it all mean heading home for game three? Kelly Rudy and the news of the day next right here on Tim of Friends. Stick around, please. We all get paid when you stick around. Jesse, you like getting paid, right? Oh, yes. Very Good. much so. Me too. Me too. Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Second hour too sweet to be sour. Kelly Rudy on what's turning into a pretty damn good series, although 2-0 for the Lightning. He'll join us in mere moments from now. Dan Schulman called a big win for Canada basketball last night and perhaps will call the two biggest games in a decade for Canada's men's basketball team, FIBA. And as if that weren't enough... Our old friend Mark Spears on the NBA brand of basketball. But before we jump into the news, those who know me or know the show understand I'm not big on platitudes. I'm much more of an action speak louder than words. And we always try and follow through with the actions here on this show. But I also understand that there are times when our words can mean so much more to others. So on this day of muted celebration, of listening and learning about a shared history, the best I can offer is a reminder that being better is always an option. And that doesn't always have to be very complicated. Like we could probably just start with clean drinking water for all Canadians. All right, let's get to the news of the day. Starting with the Toronto Blue Jays and their annual Canada Day game. Taking on the Mariners, rubber of a three-game set, Hyunjin Ryu. Struggled in the month of June after a great April and May. How would he look in July? Well, 
Top one, Kyle Seeger. Grounds one cent. Diago Espinal has a chance. Good throw. Would he have got him? Not sure, but we don't know because Vladdy can't make the catch. Run scores first two in the inning for Seattle. Bottom of the first, they get one back. Marcus Simeon. 20th bomb to lead it off. He now has hit the 20 home run mark July 1st, just the third time in nine seasons he's done that. Jay's down 2 1. Top two, two out. Ryu thinks he has strike three against Jake Fraley. Doesn't get the call. Very next pitch. Fraley, love, peace, and lots of hair grease. Out of the yard, it's a solo shot. Ryu facing the Mariners for the first time in his career. Trails 3-1. Top three, Ty France. Pops one up. Vladdy making glove out of nothing at all. Over the shoulder. That's a tough grab. First out there, but with two out, Here's Shedlong Jr. That's right. The long ball from Long Jr. Two-run shot. Ryu goes just four innings, four earned, five total on seven hits. Top nine now. Jays trailing 5-2. Tyler Chatwood, pitching in relief, starts the inning by walking the first two batters he faced. Make matters worse. He allows a pair of RBI singles. Now it's a 7-2 lead. He struck out the next batter, Chatwood. About to be lifted, and he's not happy. He tells Charlie, listen, let me stay out here. I'll save the bull. bullpen's already up. You're coming out. Hook comes out. Didn't really matter in the score. 7-2 Mariners is your final. Here's Montoyo on that exchange with Chatwood. No, but he wasn't yelling at me. He was just telling me that he, wa- he wanted to save the bullpen because we knew the last couple of days, you know, that we, they've thrown a lot. And I said, no, you, you, I mean, you just had a stiff neck. You just threw 30 pitches. That, that's good, you know. Uh, so Cedric can give me one out. So that, that's what he was saying, you know, that he wanted to save the bullpen. Give me one more batter. Nice to skip to say that. To the NBA playoffs where Giannis Antetokounmpo has been ruled out at tonight's Game 5 between the Hawks and the Bucks. Greek Freak. Hyperextended his left knee in game four. Meanwhile, Trey Young listed as questionable with a bone bruise in his foot. Hawks and Bucks series tied at two. You can catch game five tonight, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1. Elsewhere, according to the Athletics, Shams Charania, Raptors guard Jalen Harris has been dismissed and disqualified from the NBA for violating the anti-drug program. Played in 13 games with the Raptors this year. Now, he can reapply for reinstatement in one year. To the Stanley Cup Final, where the Lightning took a 2-0 series lead with their 3-1 win in Game 2. But the Canadians feel like this season is far from over. They've done it before. That includes Eric Stahl, who was on the Hurricanes in 2006 when they took a 2-0 series lead before the Oilers eventually forced a Game 7. Obviously, you, you feel good with the two two nothing lead, but you know it's uh, it's the race to four wins, and and uh, for us, obviously, game three is, uh, is is a massive game, and everybody knows that. We know that, uh, but you know we feel like if we you know come with the same uh, type of game and, and attitude we brought last night, uh, we'll be able to uh, to be on the right side of it. There's just no panic in this room. Um, I think we've been here before, and we got great leadership in the room to, you know, keep us um, keep our emotions intact. And I think that's how we're, you know, we're going forward with this. And um, 
and I think all our energy is focused on game three, and that's all we can control right now. Meanwhile, the Canadians will get head coach Dominic Ducharme behind the bench for game number three. Ducharme has been in isolation since game three of Montreal's semifinal series against the Golden Knights after testing positive for COVID-19. We've kept in contact and had some Zoom mess- uh, meetings, but it's not the same. And, uh, you know, one more uh, guy on the bench is going to be definitely helpful, especially Dom. He's an intelligent coach and, and done really well with this team. So, uh, you know, a fresh view and voice back there is uh, to add to what he's seen us do in the first two games is going to be a plus for us. And just even more excitement going back home. All right, a trade to tell you about in the NHL. The Kings have acquired Victor Arvidsson from the Predators for a pair of draft picks. Arvidsson has scored 10 goals, 15 assists, and 50 games last season. I mean, he scored 30 before in the show. Three years, $12.75 million left on a seven-year contract. Joining me now to discuss what's turned into a pretty hot, uh, busy hockey day, as well as the Bolts' win in Game 2 is the NHL and Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada's Kelly Rudy. Kelly, thanks for taking the time on a day off. I hope you know we appreciate you and the T-shirt that you're wearing today. Right? It's the only thing to do uh, here on Canada Day and to honour uh, the lost souls of the Indigenous people found at the residential schools. Uh, well said, and uh, I echo the sentiments, as I said, off the top at 6 o'clock, without a doubt. Uh, what did you think of game number two in the Stanley Cup final? I was saying to Jesse, like, if you're Montreal, that's the exact type of response that you wanted to see in game two. You just didn't get the result. 100%. I thought they played great. And, I, in fact, after game one and Suzuki and his line mates were... Uh, not challenged, but they sort of challenged themselves, right? They talked about being better in game two. And I thought they would be better. I had no idea they'd be that good. Like, they were great last night. Suzuki had nine shots alone. Uh, and I just thought his line mates were excellent as well. Um, I thought that Vasilevsky, of course, was the story of the game. Um, you know, uh, Munchal, in particular, in the second period, really badly outplayed Tampa. And uh, I think that going back to Montreal for tomorrow night's game will be something that they can really build upon. And uh, the only thing is they can't sort of ease their way into the game because I think Tampa will be better from the start. So Montreal has to uh, uh, start off really, really well early. Yeah, find another level. Uh, There's a lot to this, and obviously I'm oversimplifying because this is TV. But it seems as though... Andre Vasilevsky is outplaying Carey Price. Are you seeing anything in Price's game that would suggest that, I don't know, maybe he's tired or anything like that? No, and I would say for game one, the first three goals were all on turnovers, so I don't put that on Price. And then uh, the Kucherov uh, shot from the uh, high slot, you know, that, he just rips it basically. They win the faceoff, and it's a goal seconds later. And then uh, Stamkos late on the power play in game one. So, no, in that one, Vasilevsky only had 19 shots. I thought he only had three dangerous chances all in the second period. Um, last night, yes, Vas- Vasilevsky was the better of the two. But, uh, you know, I would not go out on a limb and say that his price is being outplayed right now. There's still plenty of hockey left. That's kind of how a series can go. I don't see any fatigue in Price's game right now. Uh, I just think that's how a series can go from time to time. And I know Kerry Price, and uh, we know him. Uh, we know that he's going to be a special goaltender for the games in Montreal. Yeah, it's going to be fun to have that series go back to Montreal and see that crowd. It would have been crazy at 1-1. It'd still be crazy at 2-0. I, I feel like 
when you're talking about a Vesna Trophy winner and a Stanley Cup winner, it's hard to say he's underrated. But And maybe I'm guilty of this, but I, I don't know if I appreciated all the things that Vasilevsky does. Um, he... He is among the best goalies in the world and has been for a significant amount of time. So I don't know how I'm saying this, but how is he so good? You're right. You know, I think for a certain to a certain hockey fan, that's not the first name that comes to mind when you think about the best goalie in the game, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think if you're around it all the time, then you go, well, he must be. I mean, he's been nominated four consecutive years for the Vesna <laughs> Trophy. That is, that, yeah, that's a, a, an award that's voted upon by the general managers. So that tells you the significance of that award. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it really speaks volumes of what, what other hockey people feel about his talent. So, yeah, I, I think that it's strange, though, when you do talk about the best goaltenders in the game, that isn't top of mind typically and I, I I think I'm guilty of that still at times I think although I'm getting my head around it the last say year and a half uh, we were talking about the size of the Lightning's defense and just how big they are and listen Montreal's big four has done a wonderful job and they have been given yeah. a lot of credit for the job that they have done but when you're talking about Tampa like we're talking about a big six there aren't we you are and I in fact uh, I want to get there in a second but uh, in game one, I hi highlighted uh, Chernak, yeah. and I thought he was brilliant. And we had a real good pack, but we didn't get to it in the pregame show yesterday. Just about, and he's a big guy, right? He's 6'3", 220, or 230 pounds, can skate. You know, he moves a puck. He's really, really physical. Ruda, another guy that you don't think about. Hedman's partner is a gigantic guy. But the guy that I'm going to focus on tomorrow, and he's not the biggest guy, is Sergachev. Yeah. And what really has grabbed our attention on hockey night is how physical he plays, right? Like when I first saw him, I thought, okay, you know, he's listed as 6'3". He doesn't look it, though, on the ice. I thought, here's a smooth skating, puck-moving defenseman, <laughs> yeah. but probably not that physical, right? That is so wrong. And Savard rounds out the top six, and we've known about his big body for a few years now. But, I mean, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Sergachev, although that was a penalty and most people agree that it's dirty, that's what you get when you play against him, right? I mean, there's that big hit that Gallagher took on him in the late in the first period. Yep. I mean, everybody recognizes this as a physical series, but I just think everybody has stepped up in both the, on both teams, and it's been a war out there. I love it. Yeah, it was funny because that late hit, and, and I feel like the people who were worried about the late hit were not watching that game because if you watch that game, you knew <laughs> – don't relax at any time. Like, if you just watch it in isolation, Kelly, like, I get it. All right, late in the game, there's a hit. It right. might be a little dirty. The whole game was dirty. Like, every hit seemed like everywhere you turn, there was someone trying to hit to hurt. And I don't mean that viciously, like predatory. Yeah. I just mean every check was finished. Everyone was, if, if you were in that game, you knew not to relax. You're allowed to hit until the final buzzer of every period, right? <laughs> yes, There's no rule that yeah. says within the last five or ten seconds, okay, lay off a little bit here, and, you know, it's a 3-1 it's game. There's no need to do that. Yes, there is. It sends a message, and it's a great message to send that, you know, the game's not over, and here we go. And, by the way, it's a hit on Sergachev, so that is the pr appropriate play, right? You know, he's hitting everybody, and if you have a chance to line him up, Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying two seconds after the final buzzer, yeah. but that was with, what, four or five seconds left? 
perfectly fine by me. Yeah, if you're playing that game, and listen, I, I think Sergeyev has done grown up, like, without a doubt. But if you're Sergeyev, you got to expect that. Like, if you're playing that game, yep. in my mind, you got to expect that uh, in return. The, the one part, I had a conversation with Cassie Campbell about Josh Anderson yesterday and how when he's engaged, he can make a real difference. And Patrick Maroon got into his face in game one. And I know at the end of the game, after Ron asked Kevin Bieksa about that late hit, Kevin turned it into a little conversation about Maroon, Anderson, and maybe thinking that Anderson has to drop the gloves or finally say enough is enough with Maroon. Right. That, those little things are so interesting to me. What did you make of that matchup and how much that can play into the overall matchup? I totally agree with Kevin that yeah. to, if there's an opportunity and you can drop the gloves and you sort of get back at Maroon to a certain degree, that I think that's really important. Maroon, listen, he's a veteran, right? He understands the playoffs and trying to get yeah. in somebody's head. Now, that, that's Cassie is right about Josh Anderson. At times, he's spectacular. I was on your show before the season started, and I predicted he'd have what, between 20 and 25 goals. He fell just short of that because he had a, a real dry spell near the end of the season. But he's an interesting guy because in game one, if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head, I think he had eight hits. Mm -hmm. Last night, I think he had one hit. And so it's not that hitting is everything for a guy like him, but it's when he's most dangerous. And by the way, on those spectacular individual rushes that sometimes seem to bring you out of your chair, that you know they, they're great, great speed, great scoring opportunities but the one thing i'd like to see him work on not now not in this series because it's too late but down the road in his upcoming years with munchall move the puck a little bit more use your line mates more because what we're really noticing is a straight ahead player that doesn't make a lot of players on his line better right mm -hmm. i think he could dish the puck a little bit sooner and then maybe get a return pass use that great speed and create something that way but that isn't to work on right now that is something to work off in the off, uh, off season and down the road you know it's funny because uh, a couple of my friends were saying like anderson could fight maroon and i said we, we don't even know what what Maroon is saying, like, Maroon's such a cagey veteran. We don't know what he's saying to Anderson. He could be saying, hey, if you keep running around out here, we're going after Caulfield. We're going after Suzuki. Like, you keep wanting to throw those eight hits with 24 steps or however many steps there were on the first two that Cassie showed after period right. one in game one. Like, the conversation with those guys at that level, like, I would love to have the mic'd up on the real conversation because it's not just hey i'm gonna punch you in the mouth there's a lot of things that go into it i would agree yeah. um i'm not sure those conversations happen as often as they used to so <laughs> right. tim i hate to say it i think you're showing your age a little bit <laughs> because those are <laughs> conversations that happen on a daily or a regular basis in the 80s and 90s and yeah. it would happen 20 times every period and i remember guys like marty mcsorley one of the toughest guys that ever played the game and yeah. Man, we had some battles with teams like Calgary and uh, Marty. There would be a big hit, and Marty would go to, up to the guy and go, I'm not hitting you. I'm going after Doug Gilmore. If right. I, I'm going after Joe Mullen or whatever. And I don't think those happen as often as they used to, my yeah, friend. Well, my, my hairline belies a certain vintage, Kelly. <laughs> my hairline. Listen, uh, we always appreciate when you take time. I know day off. Really appreciate it. Happy Canada Day, and, and thank you very much for doing this with us, and thank you for representing what you're representing by wearing that T-shirt. My pleasure, Tim. All right, there is uh, Kelly Rudy joining us from... Uh, I guess now that Cassie is in Toronto, that's the most 
famous home office in Canada. Yeah, was the only remote one left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's got he's got all the knickknacks. Yeah. You know, like he's got he's a good got, setup there. He does have yeah. a good setup. Uh, I always like talking to Kelly Rudy because there's there's a little thought that goes into every answer, and he won't just agree with you because you're the host or because he's being nice. Like. Every once in a while, he'll check you. He brings the knowledge. He was. He said uh, he didn't know off the top of his head. Anderson had eight hits game one, one hit game two. Bang check on. It. Yeah. yeah, check oh, it. Boy. Bang on. Yeah. <laughs> he knew what's up. Right off the top of his head. <laughs> yeah, right. Bring in the knowledge. Uh, th- that, li- that little matchup for me, that Maroon-Anderson matchup, like it affects so many different yeah. things because those conversations back and forth, although it might be just my age, or it might be that Patty Maroon's pretty damn close to my age. Uh, He's getting up there, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, up next, we'll shift our focus to basketball. Team Canada is on the semifinal of their Olympic qualifying tournament. The great Dan Schulman will join us next to break it on down. Hey, he's doing play-by-play. Not Jays, Canada basketball. And we'll discuss Canada basketball next. As a great man once said, look at here, look at here, look at here. Boy, look at here. The Canadian men's basketball team, 2-0 at the Olympic qualifiers in Victoria after an impressive 109-79 victory over China. Seven players in double figures, led by Andrew Wiggins, who had 20. I'm not sure I'm overstating it when I say that my next guest has been downright giddy calling this tournament and depending on the results, perhaps calling Canada in the Tokyo Games. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Dan Shulman. Danny, giddy, too strong, too weak, just right. Where am I on giddy? No, it, no, I, I think it's fair. I mean, I, I tend to keep my giddiness inside a yes. little bit. I don't like to giddy to the whole world sometimes, <laughs> but... Right. Uh, you know, I, I I put out a semi-giddy tweet, and you were one of the first texts I got back from people saying, you know, I, I'm, you know, that's fun, go have fun, or I'm right there with you, whatever it was. I've just, you, you know, we've all got our thing, right? Yeah. And, and Canada doing well in the international basketball scene is just one of my things, and and I, I'm really into it, and I'm thrilled that I have a chance to do this. Looking forward to doing the Olympics for the women's team and hopefully for the men yeah. as well. And uh, listen, so far, so good. They've won the first two, but as all followers of Canada basketball know, it's <laughs> like the it's like a baseball team in the ninth inning, right? Um, you know, Canada basketball, they've done great through the first seven or eight innings. Now they got to take it home. they got to win the last yeah, two they, games. They, they need to get a Mar- Mariano Rivera on this team, and yeah. we'll figure out who that, that closer is as we move forward. True story, I'm going to tell it here because of the story that you just told about how much you're enjoying. I'll just say that you're enjoying calling these games because you, like I, have followed Canada basketball, and while it's been a tortured existence, you're seeing this light at the end of the tunnel with all of this talent rolling through and I once was asked to help out Canada basketball by doing the uh, in-house PA Canada versus France and I said I gotta know all the Canadian guys I gotta go figure out how to pronounce all the French guys so I sat down with a coach and went through all the French names and he gave me just the the French pronunciation so it wasn't Jan Maimi, it was Jan right. Maimi, and I started right. saying it like that on, and I'm like, I, I've seen him play, isn't it Mahimi? And he's like, no, no, it's Maimi, you don't pronounce the H in French. And I, 
okay, I don't know if Jan feels the same way. But anyway, so I, and I don't know if you remember this story, but I was so worried about Canada, I forgot that Levon Kendall, Levon Kendall, Levon Kendall, Levon Kendall. Yes. Levon, and so I was yeah. calling him Levon Kendall, and you came to me after and go, uh, it's it's Levon Kendall. And I was so I'm embarrassed. That I was, way. Like, it's, I was, it's none of my business. No, I, it was. Oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't know. <laughs> and I was, I was so embarrassed at the time. Danny Showman, here's my hero coming down. And I got the Canadian. I got all the French guys. And Levon Candle, I screwed up, and he was at Pitt. It wasn't like he was out of nowhere. Like, he was at yeah. Pitt at the time, and I was so embarrassed. Anyway, so that's how deep our Canadian basketball roots go. There, there you go. Well, uh, I, I apologize for that. I spent a ton of time the past couple of days lear- trying to learn the proper pronunciations for everybody on the Greek team and on the <laughs> yes, Chinese team. Yes. And, I, and I may be learning all of the Czech names, although they're not that hard. Czech plays Uruguay. Czech Republic plays Uruguay tonight. Canada gets the winner, and then they might get Turkey in the final, depending on on how things go. So, yeah, this is a this is a uh, linguistic test as well, but <laughs> right. it's a labor of love to to sit up and watch these games on streaming live, and and you know until one in the morning or twelve thirty in the morning, and then see who Canada's going to play in a couple of days. Okay, so let's talk about Canada. Um, it seems as though, and I I was I'll be honest with you, I was watching that Greece game, thinking, oh dear God, here we go again, like. They they didn't get the warm-up games. There were no exhibition games. They jumped right into it. But did they maybe find their identity in the second half of that Greece game? And maybe it was, well, we can defend all of these guys. I, I think so. And, and you know, Greece is a, a an experienced team, a very methodical team. Pick and roll, use the clock. You know, option A isn't open. Find option B. Option B is not open. Find option C. They're hard to guard, um, even though they're not the most athletic team in the world. But I think Canada in the second half had a better game plan. They switched one through five a lot. And they used their advantage to their advantage, which is quickness, athleticism, versatility. And, and then they got out and ran a little bit. And Canada in transition you know, Wiggins and Barrett and guys like that, they're going to be lethal in, in transition. And then against China, not as good a team. They knocked down, what, 17 threes or something like that. And, and two things that I love is in the post-game comments after each game, you're hearing the players say, we're coming together. We're feeling like a team. It, it's, it, it's, it's starting to really gel now. And even like a little thing, and you'll understand this, just seeing Andrew Wiggins even in a warm-up line smiling, wearing a Canada jersey yeah. kind of makes, I think, a lot of us who who have followed Canada basketball say, okay, it's going to be okay. He's having fun. He's in. And if he's in, another guy's in, and another guy's in, the question is, do they have enough to get over the final hurdle and get to the Olympics with this group? I think if they get to the Olympics with this group, the momentum going into 2024 will be immense. But like a lot of us, we want to stop talking about the next time, and, right. and we hope that it goes well this time. And I hope they've got enough. Turkey's really good. And and if it's Canada and Turkey in the final, I think it would be a hell of a game. Yeah, and Turkey's got some size, which Canada might not have. The one, there, I, I gave a speech in the show about Canadian soccer fans who have lived an equally tortured uh, life on the men's side of things and said, trust the talent. And there was a point where uh, you told me that Nikhil Anderson, Alexander Walker had checked into the game. And then Lou Dort checks into the game. And the old school Timmy, who was born in 1975, just thought back and said, like, whenever have you had two significant pieces like that coming off the bench for Canada? And I thought Lou Dort played uh, a remarkable part in that comeback against Greece because, 
Like, let's be honest, he might be the best defender on planet Earth. He really might be. And it doesn't matter if you're a 6'2 point guard or a 6'9 power forward or a 6'7 wing. He's going to guard you. And you're going to be muttering his name under your breath at the end of the game. And you're right. For the sixth and seventh man for Canada to be two, not only NBA players, good young NBA players, and Alexander Walker and Dort, is really, really impressive. And even Michael Mulder, who's kind of the ninth guy, came in and made a three in the first game. The eighth guy is Andrew Nicholson, who had 14 and seven against China. He played in the NBA. Uh, The 10th guy is Anthony Bettit. He played in the NBA. Like, again, the talent is there. They're a little young, they're a little small, and they don't play together as much as some other teams. So of those three, I think the one that, if I were to be worried, would worry the most would be the size. And you can make a case, as great as Wiggins has been in it, you know, R.J. Bear, Corey Joseph, all that, you can make a case Dwight Powell might be the most important guy on the team yeah. because he is working overtime down low. Offensive rebounds, tip-ins. Uh, fighting through screens, um, you know, guarding guys who are three inches taller and 30 pounds heavier. He's incredibly, incredibly important down there. And, you know, you don't want to dwell who's not there. You want to focus on who who is there. And I, I they should have enough uh, on paper. And I, I know everybody who's followed Canada basketball hates that phrase, too. <laughs> on paper, they're the most talented team. If they play Turkey in the final, they will be favored. But funny things happen in FIBA. But it, listen, they're off to a really good start. The second half against Greece was great. The last three and a half quarters against China were great. Now they've got a day off today and a day off tomorrow to scout whoever wins tonight. Uh, and hopefully they get through to the final without much trouble. And then uh, it's going to be on Sunday night. Sunday night will be a lot of fun if they get to the final. So uh, you mentioned the size. And listen, like, I'm glad you brought up Dwight Powell. Like I said on the show, if if my son grows up to be like Dwight Powell, I will be very proud. Like coming off a torn Achilles, he goes into the playoffs with the Mavs. There could have been an easy, I'm okay. Instead, he shows up at training camp 10 days later saying Mm -hmm. you only get a few chances to put on the Canadian jersey. Like articulate, smart Stanford kid, like, he just, he seems to tick all of the boxes and he's pretty damn good. And he's pretty damn good. Yeah. yeah. And he's doing, uh, he is gladly doing all of the dirty work. Now he might wind up, you know, getting 10 or 12 points in a game uh, and that's great, but not one of them's on a play that they've run for him. You know, everything's <laughs> on a broken play or an offensive rebound or a tip in or something like that. Like everybody understands who uh, Alpha Dog 1 and Alpha Dog 2 are on this team right now offensively, and that's Wiggins and Barrett. Yeah. And then the way it's going, Alexander Walker would be number three probably, even though he's not a starter. And how about him really playing out of position, right? Yeah. Really playing the point guard yeah. spot, even though it's mostly uh, a two at the NBA level. But, uh, you know, with the leadership of Joseph, the distributing, the defense that he can provide, uh, and and then Powell doing whatever is asked for him, uh, of him, I should say, um, everybody's got to do their part. Like Trey Lyles has to be good. And Andrew Nicholson has to score a few points. And Mulder maybe just has to knock down one shot. And Dort's got to guard his tail off. Like everybody's got to roll. And again, you just love seeing um, all the comments saying there are no egos, front of the jersey, not the back, uh, not a selfish bone uh, uh, on anybody on this team. And that's what they're going to need because that's how the other teams are going to play. And again, uh, you know, you look at Turkey, like Jetty Osman and Furkan Korkmaz and Ersan Ilyasova. Yeah. These are NBA players, too. They, they've got talent, too. And two of those guys, Korkmaz and, and Ilyasova, showed up like four days 
before Victoria because they played deep into the playoffs. So there, there's a lot of heart and character on on the other teams. But I think we're now seeing, as you might hear my two-year-old yelling in the background, a little bit. I think we're now seeing Canada. Tim, it's not just a team. I think it's becoming a, a culture. Uh, I think it's becoming yeah. a program, as you, um, as we like to say. And, and that's a great sign, I think, for the short-term future and for the long-term future. Uh, I wish we had time to talk about U19 in Latvia, Lithuania. Lithuania? Latvia. 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 Latvia, because there are some names on that team. And yeah. it was the excitement of Egypt when R.J. Barrett won gold with that Canadian team that kind of led us to where we are now. But we, we don't have time, not only on here, but also a two-year-old is calling. Uh, Danny, <laughs> appreciate it, man. Be well, and we'll talk soon. Enjoy these games. All right. See you, Tim. There is uh, Dan Schulman, who is calling all the action on uh, CBC and DAZN, uh, has also coverage of this tournament and the U19s. We're still talking hoops. After the break, Mark Spears, ESPN's The Undefeated, will join us talk NBA playoffs. We're going to the NBA brand from FIBA to NBA. Suns back in the final for the first time since 1993. Chris Paul. Rewrite that narrative. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. The NBA playoffs have not been for the week of heart. It's been an absolute roller coaster. Tonight will be no different. Game five, Bucks, Hawks on Sportsnet and Sportsnet One at 8.30 Eastern. One day after, Chris Paul booked his first trip to the finals with a 40-piece for the Clippers, 41 to be exact. So for the first time since Chuck, KJ, Thunder, Dan, and the boys in 1993, the Suns are back in the NBA Finals. My next guest, Mark Spears, senior NBA writer at ESPN and the Undefeated. Oh, wait. Where were you in 1993, and did you have a cameo? No. We have the internet. Well, cameo, like a, a high-top fade. Oh, I thought you meant like, cameo like, like the app. <laughs> no, I'm going back in the day when we were young. Well, actually, actually, I was playing basketball. Let me see if I can grab it. I was playing for the University of District of Columbia uh, in Washington, D.C. And I was in the process of transferring to San Jose State. So that's where I was. And at that time, mm-hmm. I couldn't. They, we called it a slope. Oh, yeah. Where it yeah. you know, kind of went up. Father MC. I remember. Do you remember yeah. Father and, MC? And I didn't have slope money. Right. Right. You know, so I uh, I think I just had a normal haircut. Okay. So there was, no, uh, there was no team barber. Like, I remember I had a friend who used to cut everyone's hair, and that was how we had some sort of money. Uh, <laughs> so. Oh, no. It was the same thing with us. Yeah. 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 You had one dude that could do an awful haircut. And, <laughs> That's correct. You know, in t- I, I, when I was in junior college, I did uh, term papers for haircuts. You wow. did. You did term papers for haircuts. Yeah. Wow. I would like. I'm a. Uh, I got some teammates, and I'm not gonna put their name out there, but they. Were <laughs> That's a. It's a cheap and, term. And paper. I used to write papers for them. <laughs> they were like getting A's on their written exams. <laughs> like teachers would be impressed. <laughs> Uh, man, I would I would have employed for sure. I would have given. I, would, I even if I couldn't do it, I would have given you a haircut if you could write a term paper for me. Because uh, Uncle no, Timmy just don't have me take that multiple choice. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Timmy was a always bit of a beauty, see. Yeah, beauty school dropout. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about last night. 
before we get to tonight. And I said it before the break. I said it a couple times. I felt like there was a bunch of guys who could rewrite a narrative in this postseason. Is Chris Paul the highest among them? Yeah, I mean, basically he rewrote his by getting to the finals for the first time, but there's still that extra piece. You know, I talked to him and his brother after the game yesterday. Um, This is 16 years, man. And to see him at almost 37 years old, uh, to have a 41-point game, and he really wasn't having a great series. No. In fact, somebody from the Clippers was like, you know, we're actually more scared of campaign right now than him. Well, different ball game. Chris was too close to it, and uh, he if he was going to make sure if that if someone's going to get him in the finals, it was going to be himself. So he had, a, I think, the greatest game of his career. Um, he's going to get some lengthy rest, and it's interesting how much he's gone through, like all the the injuries in previous uh, playoffs, and then to get COVID yeah. on top of that, and he had a wrist injury he was dealing with, and to still get there. Is, is certainly just a part of his Hall of Fame story. And he's not done. I think the Suns are the favorite no matter who comes out of the East. The craziest part of it was when when they got him, like I liked the move and I thought it was because he'd be the veteran leader that they needed to take that next step. I never thought they would kind of get the draws that they got. But going into that game, there was just this real opportunity. And when he said in the post-game interview, let's not talk about 3-1, Part of me went, uh-oh. Like, I know it was a joke. I know he was being smooth. But part yeah. of me went, uh-oh. And all I said yesterday, this is the opportunity. And, man, did he seize that opportunity. Like, it was yeah. it was crazy. You know you know the singer Montel Jordan, This Is How We Do It? Yes. I met him yesterday. He, he sang the national anthem before the game. <laughs> and I told him that I thought the Clippers were going to I said they figured it out. And they're gonna win the next two games, and we'll... <laughs> they're gonna come back. <laughs> then I, hey, that that I forgot that it's the Clippers, and something was gonna happen, man. And uh, and I forgot who Chris Paul is, and and he was sensational. And I should have, I should have expected that. And I I think now, um, with them getting so much time off, who knows when Giannis is gonna be back? I mean. Dare I say, and this is certainly not out of the realm of possibility, are the Hawks the favorite now in the East with no Giannis? I mean, if you would have told me in April it's going to be Suns-Hawks in the finals and bet me $1,000, I would have taken that bet without even hesitation. <laughs> yeah. We keep, we keep <laughs> like, saying come it. Come on, man. Yeah. And even if you put the box in. But don't you think, and we can switch to tonight's game, but don't, but don't you think that Trey wait, wait, has wait, to Can play? we go back to that graphic? Yeah. Yeah. Asking you shall receive. Look, look in the first round. These dudes weren't even, the Hawks weren't even the higher seed in the first round. No. Is this incredible or what? No, it's, and... I, I know that there are those that will point to some of the injuries along the way, but uh, having been there for the Raptors parade, it doesn't matter about the injuries. They still hang that banner. They still have that parade. Hey, man, look, you guys will have that banner forever, and um, that's it, something they can't take away, and we always could take talk what-ifs and asterisks and all that, but injuries are certainly a part of the game. It happens. And I, I'm not in the LeBron mode of oh well shortened season because that really was only a shortened off season for like four teams 
think about it, there were eight teams that didn't go to bubble, and there were like four, you know, most of the league didn't even make it into September. So a lot of teams got, you know, significant time off, and I think a lot of these injuries have been freak injuries. Giannis's injury was a freak injury. It wasn't, I think, because he was fatigued. Trey um, stepped on a ref. Like yeah, that. Trey stepped on a ref. So, yeah, I, I don't know that it's fair to blame all this. And, and look, this league has to be alive and well. If they didn't play that game in, in, starting in Christmas, they would have lost a tremendous amount of money for the league, for the players. They, they got to keep the doors open, right? Yeah. It, especially uh, as tough as it was for a limited amount of fans. They had, they had to keep them on TV. So... I think in the long run, yes, this might be painful for the NBA, but they had to do this. And perhaps next season, you know, starting with games in Toronto, they should let Toronto have the first game, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I think finally next season, hopefully things will be more normal. I mean, more nor- yeah, yeah. normal. I see I'm, I'm jinxing myself. I can't even say normal, right? I'm a knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was this just... nightmare we've been through, man. I, I, I don't want to go through this no more. Uh here, here. Uh, speaking of injuries, we got a Woj bomb during that answer. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeting ESPN sources with Malika Andrews, Trey Young out game five versus the Bucks tonight. So no Giannis, no Trey. Does that change your opinion on who's favorite in the East? I don't even want to guess no more, man. <laughs> like, yeah. This yeah. is like the oddest playoffs ever, man. It's like I mean, Lou Williams is capable of putting up points. You know, Bogdanovic is capable of putting up points. Um, I just don't think they have anybody to replace Giannis on a temporary basis. So it, it, it puts more uh, emphasis on on uh, Chris Middleton to score and, and, and Drew, and I think it makes it tougher for them defensively, you know, because Giannis just does so much. So I, I actually, even with Trey out, I still think right now it's advantage Hawks. What was interesting to me or impressive to me, and I put the two words together and came up with whatever the hell came out of my mouth there for a second. I understood. <laughs> was that Atlanta had the lead before Giannis went down. Like, that was, to me, that was... The can had already been opened. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was really shocking and really impressive at the same time. And if that's the, the Hawks team that we see in Game 5, then... I think you're right. I think I think the Hawks are the favorite. Yeah, you, you know, and I also wonder if they're kind of being cautious, playing with house money right now, saying, okay, Oof. we showed that now we know that Giannis is out. We showed that we could beat him with or without Giannis, without Trey. Why not not why not do that again? But because you're playing with you know, fire seems in this change. Year. <laughs> yeah, you're in Milwaukee and um you know, you got bigger fish to fry. So I, the, the competitor that I know Trey is, though, he must really be hurt. Um, but whatever, uh, wherever it breaks down, though, all, all I can say is I hope that, like, I hope it's just a hyperextension for Giannis, and if the Bucks get through, that he's able to play in the finals. Or I hope that Trey Young, that deep bone bruise, is just a bone yeah. bruise, and they might be able to put something in there. And well, he hey, man, I. I would not be surprised if Giannis doesn't play another game in the series. Me, me either. 
Uh, the yeah. way that looked, it did not look great. Listen, I always like catching up with you. Montel Jordan, this is how we do it, but it was 95, not 93. <laughs> Close. I looked it up during while you are talking. 95. That's how we do it. Oh, man. <laughs> well, we, we got to get him to do the national anthem. There you go. There you go. I, hey. I, oh, I need, Canada. I need to meet Montel Jordan. That ain't fair. That's easy. <laughs> it's easy. I got you. <laughs> Be well, man. Always once great catching up. Once the borders open back up, I got you. <laughs> well, we can go there. We just can't come home. <laughs> uh, thanks, Mark. Try to tell you something. <laughs> uh, there is Mark Spears, ESPN, the undefeated. Always appreciate when he drops by. One last break, but coming up, we do last call Jesse Rubinoff and celebrate. Bobby Bonilla Day with you and yours. That's next right here on Tim and Friends. Another bag. 1.19 million for Bobby Bow. What a joke. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. The music means one thing. It's last call. And last call means another thing. Jesse Rubinoff takes the reins and I attempt to answer questions. Jesse. Anyway. Teased it before the break, Timmy. Mm-hmm. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day yes. to you. And happy Bobby Bonilla Day to Bobby Bonilla, because he's <laughs> the one cashing the checks. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the New York Mets released Bonilla in January of 2000, but were still on the hook for his $5.9 million salary that season. Mets ownership agreed to defer Bonilla's salary with 8% interest and spread it across 25 years from 2011 to 2035. We're not even halfway there. Uh, but Bonilla's $5.9 million actually jumped to $29.8 million from 2000 to 2011. That $29.8 million divided by 25 years equals an annual $1.19 million payment. Basically, that's all you need to know. Now 58, he will be 72 years old when the last payment is made. Timmy, is it the best contract in the history of time? Well, I just, I just heard about Lionel Messi's contract. Yeah. Uh, I just heard about Lionel Messi's contract I can in give Barcelona. The yeah, four and years, six hundred and seventy-four million dollars. Yeah, it's like like five hundred euros, or is six hundred euros? Yeah. six hundred million euros. Six hundred seventy-four million U.S. Yeah, U.S. Whatever the hell it is, it four is. years, six hundred and some odd. Six hundred seventy-four. Uh, yeah, that that's the best contract in the history. You listen, Bobby Bonilla was smart. His agent was smart. It's great that he picks up a bag. of Think of this. He makes today what Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero will make over the entire season. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I, it's a, I, the Mets ownership screwed up big time. But what I will say is that Messi's contract gives him $168 million a year. You ready for this? <laughs> Imagine coming into work every day and getting this. Ready? $443,150.68 USD per day. And people say that, like, NBA players get paid too much when they see those $40 million deals. I would say that's Lionel Messi. Ridiculous. I mean, he is, like, arguably, very arguably, the best soccer player of all time. But You mean he's 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 not? Oh, I yeah, can't find it. I don't it. know. I can't I don't want Sid to tweet at me. A fraud. <laughs> it's okay. We can move on. Uh, last night, despite his team being eliminated from the playoffs, Clippers owner Steve Ballmer was still... <laughs> Showing his usual passion and getting overly excited and uh, got a little touchy with the people beside him. Uh, there's not much to say there other than cut or uncut. 
Steve Ballmer's reaction last night, didn't he? Uh, here's here's what I will say. Uh, Ballmer was excited, really excited. Uh, there was a bit of a thigh massage. I don't know where or how that comes about, uh, but I'm not I'm not hating on it. He's excited. Uh, what I will say is all the people that were screaming, "This is cut!" Um, don't know who Steve Ballmer is. Because there is a history around this man that is deep-rooted in the history of Tim and Sid slash Tim and Friends. And if you don't know, now you know. This is Balmer. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Balmer! uncoordinated dancer on planet earth like he he is the joke that bad comics make we knew that make. steve balmer the clippers owner was an innovator what other nba owner has ever gone for one of these over the top of the rim you go get you some steve i have these notes but i gotta say i'm just fired up to be here today it's pretty cool pretty damn cool <laughs> Woo! Steve Ballmer, excited about the job <laughs> that his team has put do, forth. Do you remember on The Simpsons when there was a black comic saying, white people drive like this? But <laughs> that Steve Ballmer is the guy that they're making that joke 100%. about. Like, he is so uncoordinated. But I will say this. He has enthusiasm. Yeah, he does. And the Microsoft one is my favorite. It might oh. be my favorite gift to use. Get on yeah. your feet. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, okay. Who said sit down? Now that we've got that out of our system. Who said sit down? <laughs> uh, we all know Connor McDavid is amazing. Uh, took home a bunch of hardware at Tuesday's NHL Awards. Last year, his dog Leonard won the Fans' Choice Award for Best Dog in the NHL yesterday. During McDavid's media avail- availability, Lenny was a little bothered. Reporters didn't want to talk to him. Well, I think, obviously, you have to perform under any any circumstances. And... and um... You know, obviously the the refs have uh, have such a tough. <laughs> sorry, one. Sorry, I might just throw them in the backyard one sec, if that's all right. The dogs just barking here. John, all good, all good. Yep, good. Okay, all right, do, do what you gotta do. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, can we ask that question again, if you don't mind? Sorry about that. <laughs> You didn't have to do that when the show was uh, from home, from your basement. It happened. Did it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Barking, and uh, one time Snoop jumped up on my lap while we were doing the show. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Just embrace it. Uh, All right. That does it for us. Um, We are done for another day. Jesse, appreciate it. Uh, We always get to about 15 seconds left, and then I say, all right, I just got to wrap it up. Because we could go on for hours with last call. We'll take a break. Come back to you tomorrow. Two and a half hours on Tim and Friends.